0: Hi, everybody. It's Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. And joining us today, we have Rob Evans from Purisima. Welcome aboard, Rob.
1: Great to be here, Richard.
0: So, Rob, um, your company is really interesting uh, with regards to the cannabis space, but obviously it extends beyond just cannabis. Um, You're manufacturing cannabinoids and other compounds from algae uh, and other plant ingredients. Tell us a bit about that
1: yeah it's uh we're, we're manufacturing uh, small molecules using algae as a as a host organism. Um, we started the company having spent a lot of time using algae fermentation to produce triglyceride oils. Mm-hmm. and that was done at, at really large scale. So in thinking about where we what sort of be- scales do you mean? i mean making hundreds of metric tons in in one fermentation batch so so really the largest scale fermentation you know that anybody really does any microbial fermentations in is 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 what uh the predecessor company Solozyme that my partner and i worked for uh, was doing in in uh, in Brazil so from a scalability perspective um you know that question that box was ticked so to so to speak and, and right. it was really it was really more about figuring out you know what other interesting ingredients we could access uh, using algae fermentation and, and if you if you look at um, at potential uh, opportunities for, for plant derived ingredients the, the cannabinoid space just stood out as, a, as an immediate uh, opportunity and and one in, in which it would be relatively straightforward to um, you know to to create well not to create to satisfy demand for these types of ingredients. Using an entirely different approach that that offers a, a myriad of, of benefits, not the least of which is is a crop cycle for algae fermentation is essentially a a week, right? And so contrast that with with growing plants outdoors, and and you've got a a, a substantial benefit, as well as just a supply chain and 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 working capital that are that are tied up to the long crop cycle, um, and being able to express production of compounds that plants don't produce a lot of so think about all the minor cannabinoids mm-hmm. that just became an obvious place for us to uh to begin the journey
0: so when you're preparing you know for want of better term a batch do you build that batch around a single compound or do you build a are, are you able to produce a spectrum
1: well you you can do both but but what we do today is is we have cells that are designed to produce a specific compound, okay, and um, the the power of the platform is that you can design cells to produce a broad spectrum of of cannabinoids, uh, for example, um, and but that's that's something for the future. Today, we're focused on producing um, high purity single cannabinoids you know, that can be isolated and then put on the market uh, as isolates alongside, you know, other other cannabinoid isolates that are either produced synthetically or derived from plant sources.
0: Right. And based on your site, I see that you're focusing on CBC and THCV at the current time. Yeah, that's correct. And the applications for those, who's picking them up
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, a CBD where people are doing uh, experimentation in a very broad range of of applications. I mean, too many applications than you could reasonably believe for it to be effective in. Uh, So we've focused really on starting from what the literature suggests about CBC Uh And PPC, according to the literature, is a a potent anti-inflammatory agent. right? And and that led us to to develop a serum that we used in a topical skincare application. Uh We formulated this product, supplied it to friends and family, engaged them in a six-week study. And the before and after photos were were quite impressive, Uh, most notably for people that had some type of inflammation, whether it be a... A rosacea or eczema type uh, condition. And it also offered some pretty impressive um, resurfacing skin resurfacing properties. Right. And and we even had one individual who had uh, more or less kind of what appeared like a diabetic type sores. Oh, yeah. Where where there was a a pretty impressive um, improvement of the condition over over six weeks. Um, And so that inspired us, in fact, to think about a topical or an, or an ingestible format. Right. We thought if we could reduce skin inflammation externally, Mm -hmm. how about reducing pain uh, by reducing inflammation internally? And and so we formulated gummies and supplied those to people who had some type of chronic pain and asked them what they thought after a couple of days of usage. And the results were quite impressive. And Um, so that, yep. So that inspired us, in fact, to embark on a placebo-controlled study. That's what I was looking, actually going to ask you about. Is looking at, at pain remediation and specifically female menstrual pain. Oh. So uh, literally in the next 48 hours, we're going to be kicking off the first phase of this study. We've been enrolling people in it. Um, we've got uh, a couple hundred people enrolled in this study, and it's going to be two arms looking at, at CBDV. Uh-huh. and uh in combination with CBC and CBC by itself uh okay. so those the two arms and 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 placebo-controlled and and um we've got the oversight of a of a of a of a gynecologist who's who's actually helped us to choose that as a as an ideal um application given the the poor options well I would say the limited options that women have in in dealing with these types of conditions uh, every month and and so we're uh we're pretty excited to see what comes out of that. Um, based on what we've seen anecdotally, uh, we have high hopes that, that's, that that this will be confirmed uh, you know, through this uh, study.
0: And then what would be the next step after that? Because a 200-person study by one independent doctor can be picked up, but you still need to go through a lot more before you'd bring something larger scale to market
1: yeah we will we, we'll see i mean i think uh with with impressive results uh i think we'll we'll have a, a lot of uh support to in fact uh you know take that one step further and actually look at, at at what we would need to do in fact to to be able to make some claims around pain relief which as you know is a uh, is a pharmaceutical claim so um that is uh that is something excuse me that um you know that we'd be looking to do on on the heels of uh of of some additional um uh, good performance.
0: Yeah, no I mean it's exciting. It's uh it's a great application for it. I know CBC on its own and uh you know is incredibly useful for dermatological issues, so it's interesting to see you trying it in a different application already having some anecdotal results. So when a you know, let's say a customer wanted to come to you and purchase um a particular cannabinoid. You mentioned earlier that you know, the turnaround time is a week or so for a crop cycle. Um, What's the cost per gram? Because obviously everything in the canvas business works out. Everybody works everything out to the cost per gram. It's a bit different when you're uh, producing single compounds, but when you're looking at some of the, you know, rare compounds, it's incredibly important to recognize.
1: Yeah, well, you you can, I mean, people can go today to, uh, to, they can go to our website. They can request a, a one gram sample. They can go to uh, open book extracts uh, website. Open book extracts is our, is our processing and, and distribution partner. Um, and so they, they produce isolate from our fermentation uh, product right. and th- and that's, that's done through their quality systems. And, and so you can buy product uh, off their website and, um, and so people should should think about a, a product that costs about ten dollars a gram today, depending on volume. You know, th- th- there's potential to, uh, to 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 get significantly below that, but that's really our introductory price with the with the first product that's available today, which is available for for purchase now.
0: Right, and considering the quantities that some like THCV and others are available in the wild or in uh, general production. You know they're incredibly expensive at this um, by comparison. So that's that's uh, economically that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's part of the reason why we chose uh, CBC is because we we knew we could come to the to the market. At a price that would be reasonable enough that people could formulate with a meaningful amount in it. It really doesn't make sense for people to formulate products with a with a milligram or two no. um, you know, by itself, because you, you it's unlikely that a consumer is going to see a, a reliable benefit from that. Um, Absolutely. So that's an important aspect of, of the equation. And you know, we're we're just getting started. I mean, the potential to 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 produce these compounds. And and get them, you know, down to to economics where you see
0: major cannabinoids
1: being transacted at is is is
0: is very real. Yep. Um, No, the minor cannabinoid market's going to be developing incredibly rapidly once uh, with pharmaceuticals and the like coming into play, much more so than uh, you know, the traditional market. Rob, we do have to take a quick break, but we'll be back in a moment on the Green Peak with Rob Evans from Purasima. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. And we're back on the Green Peak with Rob Evans from Persema. and Rob, you know, just before the break, we're talking a bit about you know the minor cannabinoid opportunity, and the cost per gram that you're referring to down um, is phenomenal, considering that when you're you know growing cannabis in a field or a greenhouse or anything else and you're looking at a dollar per gram production cost, you're focusing on the major cannabinoids. And the minor cannabinoids are such a tiny percentage of the product, you'd be growing many, you know, 10 times as many kilos sometimes to end up with a gram of product. Um, So economically, this is a great alternative. What are the limiters on your business?
1: Uh, Well, quite frankly, I think, um, you know, we, we, we have today we have a portfolio of of compounds where we where we've at least shown that we can design algae cells to produce a structure and the number of these structures now is is over is over 100 at at least for cannabinoid type structures so so we can make um a large number of the cannabinoids that have been described in the literature. Uh-huh. And we're also using this technology, in fact, to design entirely new cannabinoids that no one's seen before. And so if you think about limitations, I mean, quite frankly, I, I don't know that we've really hit any, any limitations uh, today in terms of, of, of the breadth of compounds that we can produce. I think the headwinds that uh, that the industry faces are, um, you know the uh, so I so I would say you know the regulatory the lack of regulatory guidance uh-huh. is probably more of a limitation than than the technology itself. Quite frankly, um, you know the industry, particularly in the United States, is is struggling with how to regulate synthetic cannabinoids. Yes, and part of our job is to educate the authorities on the differences between synthetically produced cannabinoids and cannabinoids produced using a fermentation approach, which, which is essentially the same process that plants use. So we're producing compounds that have the same racemic content right. as, as compounds that, uh, that come from the plants, which is very different from compounds that are produced, uh, synthetically. And we don't have, um, unwanted, you know, side products of those chemical reactions. So I think, that's uh that's probably more of a limitation in terms of broad market op- adoption um than any technological uh, challenge that we faced
0: but and you know what you just pointed to though the the limitation that exists in the US from a regulatory perspective there's more opportunities in Europe opening up and elsewhere um from a commercial perspective also there's so much research going on over there because they are they are Less fettered by certain constraints, how are you going to approach those markets? Because you know, globalization continues to develop, and the U.S. unfortunately keeps falling behind in this one area.
1: Yeah, I, I think you know we're, we're fortunate to be partnered with a company that has uh, that has broad reach internationally as well, being being open book Extracts again. Right, um, and so uh, you can expect to see our products ending up in in international markets in the not too distant future. Okay.
0: Um, You mentioned also earlier about you're developing combinations of cannabinoids that, you know, aren't seen in nature. Are you purpose building around specific conditions or uh, treatments that you're looking to resolve or why is it you're approaching it and what are the outcomes you're hoping for?
1: Well, so, so there's, there's, there's two aspects of that. One is, is, um, we can produce combinations of cannabinoids that aren't produced in, in, in nature, but in fact, we're, we're looking at cannabinoid structures themselves. So individual cannabinoids right. is the primary focus, um, that haven't been described in, in literature. And there's, there's two reasons to look at this. One is that, that it's very interesting from a scientific perspective, For sure. obviously to think about, um, compounds that could be, uh, let's say more singular in their benefit, right. um, you know, take CBD, for example, people talk about anxiety relief, um, you know, relief from insomnia, re, you know, pain relief, mild sedative properties. I mean, they're, they're, cannabinoids are typically pretty broad acting. So there's potential to, to develop more specificity in terms of the biological response. Um, and just from a business perspective, you know, being able to, to uh, produce a, a, a novel chemical entity you know, gives you the ability to not only uh, patent the process to produce it, but also the structure itself. And if you think about the pharmaceutical drug applications, that's that's where um, I think big pharma gets interested because we largely, we, you know, with the exception of Jazz Pharmaceuticals and the acquisition of GW Pharma for Epidiolex, uh-huh. we haven't seen a broad base of interest with big pharma companies in the cannabinoid space. And, and it's our belief that that's largely due to the fact that these structures are known, and, and, and so you can't patent the, the structure itself. And so you're, right. you're limited with how much protection you can actually uh, get. And, and I also think, quite frankly, that the um, big pharma is looking at how the FDA is going to deal with this, um, you know, this drug exclusion rule that they're that they're that they're trying to uh, um, to implement. Right. With CBD and epidiolex. And um, you know that that may dictate how much interest Big Pharma shows uh, in the future, but again, if you can have composition of matter IP, I think it's a it's a it's a different um, there's a more defendable business in, in in that situation.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's an interesting point, of course, about the IP portfolio and being able to patent some of the the combinations as original uh, creations. Which, if they are targeted so- towards specific conditions, would have incredible value.
1: Yeah, yeah, we believe that. Yeah. It's really just now uh, you know, it, taking these structures that are novel um, and further elucidating on what the what the biological response could be, and 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 trying to understand at least uh, get a sense for for what mechanistically is happening, uh, you know, in, in the body. And we've done some um, some. Uh, modeling work and we're incredibly encouraged about the potential of of some of these compounds
0: no um absolutely it would make total sense um you know i mean there's so many different cannabinoids and we haven't mapped out the the combined effect of of most of them in terms of uh, which ones you need to take in combination against specific diseases and we talked about epidiolex and gw but you know, it's pretty much known that as a treatment course there, it isn't just one um, process. It's a series of uh, treatments that ends up working. And it's those combinations that really are what the body requires. So, you know, the, the route you're going down is quite interesting from that perspective in terms of conditions aren't, you know, they're not two dimensional. And the way cannabis operates and the cannabinoid combinations will operate um, can be matched up to that that puzzle piece.
1: Yeah. In fact, you know, when we started the company, our view was that I mean, we had been told that uh, the FDA was considering approval of strains of cannabis to treat certain mm-hmm. conditions, which, which we never bought into. It's it's just hard to imagine that a, a variable uh, cannabinoid concentration could ever be um, an approved, uh, you know, FDA pharmaceutical and. Yeah. It was on that basis that we formed a thesis that was um, looking at fast forwarding 10 years in the industry and, and seeing specific formulations of cannabinoids uh-huh. um, being designed for, for different uh, purposes. And, you know, it, it could almost because each individual responds differently to cannabinoids. And people develop tolerance, tolerances to cannabinoids at, at different rates. That's right. Um, that it that it becomes a tremendous opportunity, in fact, to offer more personalized uh, therapeutics, where people, through experience, start to learn what works best for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, much of that could be a placebo effect. Probably a significant percentage uh, will be, but that's really where the opportunity lies for companies to start making very precise formulations. Um, potentially even tailored to individual user types. Yep. And, and that creates a, a really incredible opportunity for brands to establish, um, you know, a more reliable and repeatable customer base.
0: Yeah. And, you know, fundamentally, I agree with you on that. You know, I, one of the um, precepts that I, when I started my uh, business in the space, when I first entered in the space with others, was that eventually we have to be able to have formulations that are as standardized as Tylenol, so it's consistent everywhere you go, and it's incredibly difficult to do with the plant, but it's possible. But it's much simpler if you're starting off with just the base components and building a formulation from there, rather than trying to figure out how to extract what you need from a bulk process.
1: Yeah. So, well, you and and you see that there's no question that the industry is going in in that direction, and you see people yeah. even but going. It's, it's the, natural. It had to.
0: Right. Yeah. It's, and even, uh, even,
1: even with flour product, yeah, you see people enhance or fortifying flour exactly with minor cannabinoids to make a more of a, a, a create a more uh, precisely
0: defined ratio of at least two cannabinoids. Yes, and the profiles and the potencies and everything uh, becomes more scientific metrics that people use in the marketing as well which sometimes is a bit confusing for people but rob let's come back to that after we have to take one more short break i'm richard zwicki on the green peak with rob evans from purasima the green peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors and we're back on the green peak with rob evans from purasima and rob you know just before the break we t- we touched on something really uh, important is that growers are you know constantly striving to improve the varietals that they're producing to have more specific outcomes against expectations and of course every person will react differently to those varietals in terms of the effect won't be standardized um, as uniformly as anyone would hope but they generally would fall into certain uh, buckets with what you're doing it goes from the other direction completely because you're not dependent on the plant or any of the environmental effects on the plant. You're actually starting off with, here's the proposed outcome, and we're growing to that. Correct. We're manufacturing to it, I guess, is probably the better term.
1: That's correct. And and producing
0: active ingredients using
1: fermentation is, is not a new process. No, not at all. It's, been, at done, all. it's been done for a, a, a very long period of time, and it can be done in a very controlled uh in a repeatable way yeah
0: and i've spoken to a number of people who've been you know over the years over the last oh i don't know how many years six seven years uh people who have been talking about um producing cannabinoids kind of kind of like growing on yeast growing in the in the lab and trying to develop at scale but I haven't heard of anybody else who's been able to do it at the volume you have um, in the recent, uh, at recently. What sets you apart, and what's going to be the big challenges for your business vis-à-vis the rest of the market?
1: Well, I think one of the the advantages of using algae as a host organism mm-hmm. is that it's it's incredibly stable, right? And so uh, a lot of companies developing. A fermentation approach to to produce an ingredient, um, it's not that challenging to demonstrate you can produce a little bit of the ingredient in the lab. What becomes challenging is, in fact, taking that to much larger scale. Yes. Um, And the fact that that we already knew that that algae fermentation could be done at very large scale Mm -hmm. um, gave us a lot of confidence in in that not being a, a, a limitation for us. The the other thing about algae is that in its essence it's a single cell plant right i mean all higher plant life on the planet evolved from algae so if you were a molecular biologist look with a clean sheet of paper trying to figure out what the ideal organism is to make cl- a plant derived uh active and you knew about algae fermentation you would probably seriously consider that as an ideal starting point um because th- the same biological machinery exists in the organism as, as in a, as in a plant cell in it, in its essence. And so if you're, if you have challenges with um, let's say a precursor to a cannabinoid being toxic to a, a yeast cell um, that often isn't, isn't the case in uh, with, with algae. And so we, we think, you know, those aspects, I mean, the scalability, the, the strain stability, um, the, uh, tolerance to what otherwise would be toxic precursors to other organisms, um, has given us, uh, a lot of, uh, breathing room in terms of moving, uh, very rapidly to, to larger scale manufacturing.
0: Absolutely. Now, you know, when you are When you're growing, and especially when you're growing at scale, well, if you're growing at any size, at scale it just is a bigger problem. Um, You're always concerned about contamination, be it in the water, in the air, in the soil. You're concerned about how the light's going to affect the growth of the plant and, you know, the lumens the plant gets on any given day and the variability of the strength and intensity at different times, especially when you're dealing with outgrow, outdoor, or mixed grow. You don't have that variability to deal with what's the risk in production for you
1: well um contamination is a risk in fermentation right um you know so you can have other foreign microbial contamination you know which can which can destroy a fermentation run and and we we know this from past experience sure Um, it, it it happens it's it's uh you know there's a there's a lot of uh uh, valves and junctures and right. points where microbial con- contamination can exist in a fermentation process. And so uh, that requires, you know, the operators to be very adept at, at, at good cleaning protocol, but it, it, right. contamination, so to speak, is, is, a, is, a, is a potential issue in, in fermentation. Um, it's not nearly as prevalent as as mold and fungus is in a in a cannabis grow that's obviously. kind of my comparison is there's a there's a there's always a risk but well i would i would put those probably at both ends of the uh continuum because you know it, it uh there was a point in time where, where cannabis grown in in indoor greenhouses in 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 canada i mean 90 plus percent of it had to be irradiated to kill mold and fungus
0: you still have more than 50 percent is problematic and you know it's the nature of the way the regulations were designed for the indoor grow uh here in canada the hermetically sealed boxes you have one you know one speck of anything or one bacteria get in and it's uh, a perfect breeding ground rob we do have to end the show for today but people who want to learn more about poor and find out about the process how can they learn more?
1: Uh, purissima.bio
0: okay p-u-r-i-s-s-i-m-a.bio fantastic Correct. well thanks for joining us on the Green Peak it's been really fascinating it's been great chatting with you Richard thanks for having me thank you and thanks to everybody for listening we'll be back again with you next week I'm Richard Swicky.